Welcome to Terror at Collinwood. I am overwhelmed with enthusiasm because this episode features the one and only Catherine Lee Scott, and I can't wait for you to hear it. But before we get to the show, I want to tell you about a few things. I have some exciting news. The Rondo Awards are upon us. Voting has begun in the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards, and I'm ecstatic. I'm thrilled to announce that Terror at Collinwood has been nominated for Best Podcast once again. For the last two times we were nominated, Terror at Collinwood came in second, first to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing Colossal Podcast, and then last year to Mick Garris's Body Parts, and hey, coming in second to Gilbert Gottfried and Mick Garris, that in and of itself is an honor. Uh, but hey, maybe third time's a charm. Maybe we'll nab that award this year. That is up to you. The way to uh, vote in the Rondo Awards is uh, via email. You send an email to terraco at aol.com, and that is T A R A C O at aol.com. And uh, you can vote in as many or in as few categories as you like. You don't have to vote in every category. Uh, It is one vote per person, and every email must include your name to be counted. All votes are kept strictly confidential, and no emails or personal information will ever be shared with anyone. Uh, You can see the full ballot over at rondoaward.com. And uh, again, you want to send your email with your selections to taraco at aol.com, T-A-R-A-C-O at aol.com by April 16th. And hey, if you want to vote for Terror at Collinwood, all you got to do is type in Best Podcast, Terror at Collinwood, and then you just send it over to the Rondo Awards email. I certainly would appreciate it. No pressure, though, because there are so many great podcasts on that list. I wouldn't blame you for voting for any of them, um, but you can only pick one. This is sort of like the People's Choice Awards for classic horror endeavors and scholarship. Uh, so thank you to those who did nominate Terror at Collinwood. And also, Penny Dreadful has been nominated for Favorite Horror Host which thank you uh, for putting Penny Dreadful on the ballot for favorite horror host. Uh, I think that's more of an honorary nomination at this point. We did do our TV show for 10 years, uh, and uh, I'm honored to have won a couple of Rondo Awards for that. I I dust off the uh, pointy hat usually around Halloween, and uh, we do a Halloween special or something like that, or uh, convention appearances and things like that. Not as uh, active as I used to. I'm I'm getting up there. I am 700 years old, darling. Um, I'm also thrilled that so many guests who've appeared on this podcast have been nominated for their projects. The list is immense on this list. I have so many people I know on this list who I adore, and I am so happy for them. I can't mention everybody here, but I'm just going to mention those who have been guests on Terror at Collinwood. So just kicking it off here, Todd Tarantula, directed by Ansel Farage, has been nominated for Best Independent or Streaming Film. Uh, for Book of the Year nonfiction, we have Donald F. Glute with Classic Movie Monsters, Patrick McRae with The Dark Shadows Daybook Unbound, Mark DeWidziak with A Mystery of Mysteries, The Death and Life of Edgar Allan Poe, Sam Irvin, who will be coming onto the podcast in March for the epic saga behind Frankenstein, The True Story. Under Best Classic Monster Fiction, we have Amanda Desiree, who's been nominated for In the Shadow of the Skull. We have Ricardo Delgado, who wrote and illustrated Dracula of Transylvania. Moving on to Best Article, we have Rod Labby with The High Point of Hagsploitation from Scary Monsters number 132. For Best Cover, we have Mark Maddox with The Freaks Cover for Scream number 42. For Best Website, we have Raymond Castile's Basement of Horror and the Collinsport Historical Society for Best Podcast. Not all of these folks have been on the podcast yet, but they are friends of the podcast. That was a B-Movie cast, Monster Kid Radio, Diecast Movie Podcast, Literary License Podcast, 
all nominated for Best Podcast uh, alongside Terror at Collinwood for Favorite Horror Hosts. Again, alongside Penny Dreadful, several of these horror hosts on this list appeared in uh, the Halloween special I did with the 20 horror hosts talking about Dark Shadows. So we have Dr. Drek, Dr. Sarcophagi, Dr. Gangrene, Count Gordaval, Halloween Jack, Marlena Midnight, Bobby Gamal, Monster, Sally the Zombie Cheerleader, uh, the Bone Jangler, Carlos Borla. They were all on the episode, uh, the horror host episode to celebrate Dark Shadows. So all of them have also been nominated. Uh, so many great folks on here and so many wonderful options. I can't wait to dive into this ballot to vote. I'll put a link in the show notes to the Rondo Awards. Uh, in other uh, big news, there is a Dark Shadows Remembrance event coming up. And uh, I believe that is happening July 5th and 6th. But I don't know if that's been set in stone yet, but that's the scuttlebutt I'm seeing on. Uh, on the internet so don't book any flights yet but the uh, full information will be coming keep your eyes out on social media and uh, on the podcast i mean i'm going to be off after this episode for maybe three weeks or so uh so by the time i come back to the podcast there will surely be more information by then uh, they haven't announced all the details yet as of this recording uh, but Catherine and i did talk a little bit about it here and uh, uh, jim pearson from the dark shadows festivals and of course who handles all of the the dark shadows licensing, uh, etc. worked for Dan Curtis and uh, Mario Leary, who directed the Jonathan Frid documentary and was Jonathan Frid's business partner and Clunes Associates. They are spearheading this, they're behind this. Uh, so um, the first evening of the event is a um, life celebration for Lara Parker, which is a very special thing. And that's going to be happening, I believe, on the Friday evening. And then on the next day, on the Saturday, is the Jonathan Frid centenary. I believe several of the actors will be in attendance or participating in some capacity. This is going to be in Los Angeles, and uh, there is going to be a hotel uh, associated with the event. Uh, I don't, like I said, I don't know all of the details yet, but when I have them, I will definitely uh, announce them here. And this is not a festival, but it is certainly a Dark Shadows event, and it's going to be a very important one, it sounds like. So speaking of Dark Shadows cast members, James Storm, who played Gerard Stiles, of course, in Dark Shadows, and his wife, the lovely Valerie Pronio Storm, are photographers, and they are very skilled photographers, multi-talented individuals uh, here. I've picked up a couple of beautiful photographs from their website. You can see them in the YouTube version of this episode. I'll put up a couple of pictures. Uh, these photos, they offer great deals. Um, I got a uh, Gerard Styles signed photo uh, as part of this Dark Shadows deal. So you can find out more at jimstormphotography.com. Amazing photographs. You should definitely check out their website. And uh, hey, may maybe you will be hearing from uh, James and Valerie sometime soon. We, we shall see. In other exciting news, our Shadowed Past Volume 2 is coming, and uh, you've heard me talk about Our Shadowed Past before. It's a collection of fan memories and beautiful, rare photographs. This one features more amazing fan memories, an abundance of fan memories about discovering Dark Shadows and the role it has played in the contributors' individual lives, along with fan memories of the Dark Shadows festivals, interactions with the Dark Shadows uh, cast and crew, rare vintage studio days photos, artwork, fan fiction. Oh my goodness, lots of great stuff in here. Uh, the book will be printed in full color and only available for purchase directly from 
Bob Issel, and it will be $27 plus postage, which is a savings of nearly $8 off the retail price, which will be $34.95. Uh, no money will be collected prior to the book being released. At this time, Bob is just asking for pre-orders. So if you're a Dark Shadows fan and you want Our Shadowed Past Volume 2, you can get a, a nice deal on it there. There's going to be a limited print run of 200 books, so please email uh, Bob to reserve your copy or copies as soon as you can and the email is bobubas b-o-b-u-b-a-s 59 at gmail.com I know that Bob uh, worked very hard on this and so did Jeff Kenny. I know Jeff's been doing a lot of work with layout and restoring photographs he sent me a restored photograph that I had sent in uh, from like the early 70s mid 70s and it's gorgeous I mean, it looks like a brand new picture I, I just couldn't believe how vivid it was i know they've been working very hard on this rod lavy has contributed an exclusive interview he conducted with lara parker uh, there's another wonderful feature in the book called i was a teenage dark shadows fan club president and it's been penned by rod lavy with contributions from fellow studio days fan club presidents d kearney paulette nordman and kathy hardowich the cover of the book has been unveiled uh, cindy yates did the cover and she's known for her amazing dark shadows jewelry as well uh, so, a uh, really great cover for Volume 2. If you want to pre-order a copy, you want to contact bobubus59 at gmail.com. And now, with all of that said, let's get to the show. For those watching the YouTube version of this episode, I just want to apologize for the dark shadow across my face. I should have adjusted the lights before I started recording, but the uh, pop blocker in front of my microphone was casting a, a little bit of a, a shadow, so I do apologize for that. I'll have to keep an eye on that in the future. is fun, but there are spoilers inside. Welcome to Terror at Collinwood. I am your hostess, Danielle, aka Penny Dreadful, and I am delighted and honored because returning to the podcast is the one and only Catherine Lee Scott, a recipient of the prestigious Life Career Saturn Award from the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. Catherine has appeared in countless stage, television, and film productions and has written a number of successful books. She is, of course, beloved by Dark Shadows fans for her portrayals of Maggie Evans, Josette Dupre, and several other characters in the series. I want to welcome you back, Catherine. It's so good to have you back on the podcast again. Thank you. Thank oh. you much Danielle and I want to thank you for for coming to Lyndhurst we had our we had our wonderful gathering you know around uh, Halloween and it was just lovely to see you oh thank you well it was lovely to see you too and to meet you in person and Marie Wallace as well uh, I was I was going to bring that up you hadn't been on the podcast in a couple of years we did 
talked about the Christmas Carol event, very right. wonderful event. But then, um, yeah, I went down to Lindhurst and saw you and Marie there. And what a great time I had because wonderful. And we had a wonderful turnout. And I and I always enjoy those. It's, of course, a, a charitable event to raise money for Lindhurst. Yeah. Uh, but it also has such special meaning for Dark Shadows fans. And one thing that I feel so bad about, Danielle, you know, the day that you came, uh, Christian Cooper was there and he had mentioned some time earlier that Sybil Weinberger was a friend of his. Oh. He brought her. She was there. She was sitting right behind where you were sitting oh. in the next row next to Christian. And I didn't I didn't recognize her. I haven't seen her. Oh, well, since, I haven't seen her in 50 years. Yeah. I haven't seen her since the show went off the air. And I was always so fond of her. And she was there. Not only that, she took a photograph of Christian and me. And if I had realized it, of course, I would have loved to have had a photograph of Sybil because, you know, we oh. always talk about how how important Robert Cobert's music was to Dark Shadows. It it uh, it was like another it was like another character in the show, but oh, we couldn't yes. have done it without that very evocative music. But it was Sybil who was the music supervisor, who was in the booth, who who made it all happen. Yeah. And there's such stories to tell. And I, I I would have introduced her, people could have asked questions. And what I'm hoping is that one day you have her on on your show. I would love to interview Sybil Weinberger. Um, and I know uh, Guy Haynes has uh, been in touch with her um, and he wanted to interview her as well at, at one point. I would love to chat with her. I, I, she was married to Bob Costello um, as well. And she, uh, you know, she was such an integral part of the series, as you as you point out. I had no idea she was there. I, I don't know. She's, she's kind of shy. I don't know what she looks like. So I, I would. Imagine, I, I'm, I, I was just devastated afterward and I got in touch with Christian and and I said, I I wish you had said something. I mean, I was standing right next to her, and I didn't recognize her, and um and and I'm usually you know pretty good at rem remembering. Yeah. In fact, I'm very good at remembering people, so I feel especially bad. But um well, obviously you can you can find her through Guy Haynes, but also. Uh, perhaps I could even find her for you through uh, Christian. I would love to meet her for lunch one day yeah. and, uh, and catch up. She lives somewhere in the New York area. I see. Okay. If she's ever uh, willing to do it, I would. the door is open. I would be more than happy to to have her on the podcast. Well, you can even watch this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and oh. ask to be one. That would, that would be great. Um, before we we look at the past a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about the future because I call you the Dark Shadows Dynamo because you are always on the go. You're always doing all of these interesting things, convention appearances. You're still working in, in film. You're in Ansel's upcoming film, The Great Nick D, um, which I'd like to talk a little bit about. Um, I don't know how much you can share. I know Ansel's going to be coming onto the podcast in March, I think, to talk about the film. Uh, but uh, um, and uh, Stuart Manning uh, over in the Dark Shadows news page just posted about this Dark Shadows Remembrance uh, event that's coming up this summer in Los Angeles. So can you tell us a little bit about um, some of what you have coming up? Oh, dear. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> a couple of things I should mention. I don't think that I'll be doing Lindhurst this year. Oh. Um, October is a very busy month for them. And I think it's going to be a busy month for me. So they suggested doing it in July. However, I think that we are going to be having a memorial for Laura Parker in Los Angeles. Yeah. I don't know the venue uh, or the date, but I, it'll be sometime in the last week of June and uh, possibly the first week of July, maybe around the 6th or the 7th. But, you know, uh, everybody is going to want to be there and to schedule time away and, and uh, you know, make travel arrangements and everything. I think it's too much to expect that people can be at something in Los Angeles and then weeks later be at something on the, on the East Coast. So yeah. I think we're gonna put it off for this year. Uh, and, and that's not been announced yet, uh, so you're the first to know, okay. uh, but we'll, we'll soon have a date for that. And um, I've seen Ansel's film, it's wonderful, we will talk about that. Great. Uh, and I'm, I'm working on a couple of, uh, of projects. One of them, I got the rights back to The Bunny Years, a documentary that I made okay. uh, quite a few years ago based on my book, The Bunny Years. But, yeah. Um, I would say that perhaps a third of the people that are in that documentary have already passed away, mm -hmm. including Hef and his brother Keith and and many of the young women who worked as as bunnies. But I got the rights back from A&E and uh, BBC One and Canadian TV. And my producing partner on that uh, is Stuart Goodman. And Stuart was the, the number one cameraman on the original yeah. Dark Shadows. Yeah. And uh, we we produced um, we produced the original Bunny Ears, and and so we're now producing uh, the reissue. So I'm adding a little bit more material to uh, what we have, re-editing, adding new music, and and that's a big project. Um, again, a huge learning curve for me. Uh, I've produced before, but uh, to be in this editing process is is new, and. Uh, Yes, a, a, a couple of, of really nice projects that I'm looking forward to. Right. Is that is that going to be available uh, via streaming or are you doing like a Blu-ray release? Be, it'll be um, it'll be streaming. Great. And there are a couple of really lovely surprises with that, uh, which I, I can't talk about yet, but I'm, okay. I'm excited about it. Oh, wonderful. Uh, yeah. So I'm yeah. that that's another thing that I'm working on. And uh, um, yes, a few things. I wrote a piece for Stuart's new uh, uh it's a it's a fanzine a magazine yeah. the daytime it's, gothic yes daytime yeah. gothic i wrote a piece on uh uh really on on laura parker and yeah. i i knew we we're going to be talking about laura yes. i miss very much um yeah. can't tell you and so i wrote a piece uh for that and i'm glad that i had the the um the time to work on that when I did, because it, it made it even more meaningful and poignant. Yeah. Um, Stuart, I had Stuart on uh, a few months ago and he, he had mentioned, uh, off mic, you know, off without well, that, that, this was happening. So I'm excited about that. And, uh, I know fans are going to be really, um, happy to, to see right. that. Um, you know, there are some really wonderful people, but uh, you've talked to most of them now on, on your show or uh, your podcast, um, Ansel, of course, and Darren Gross. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, such an integral part of uh, the whole story of Dark Shadows, especially with his work on Night of Dark Shadows. 
Yes. And, uh, and Stuart Manning, you should also, I hope one day talk with Patrick McRae. Have you? Oh, already- oh yeah. Patrick uh, has the record for the most appearances on this spot. He's been on five, yeah. five episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So <laughs> and and uh, so Patrick and I are, uh, we, we work on, a, on various things together. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm really impressed by, by all of the guests that you have on this podcast. <laughs> It's, um, you're, you're doing a wonderful job of, of uh, keeping everybody aware of dark shadows and what's happening and keeping the legacy going along with the other people that we've just talked about. So. Well, thank you. And especially you, uh, you, you have been over the years, uh, just instrumental you are in keeping dark shadows in the zeitgeist, but through your books and just your, uh, appearances and and you just recently did the the readings for all of those Ross novels like the, that that must have been quite the undertaking. <laughs> that was wonderful. I really mm-hmm. loved doing that and and I did those during COVID. So I what I really loved is working at this little studio in Soho, mm-hmm. uh, recording studio, and it, 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 nobody else was there. So every day when I came in, you know, the, um, the, the, everything was, everything was right there where I'd left it the day before. Mm. And I found that I could work maybe five hours at a time reading and, and I just loved it. I was totally, totally immersed in this world that, uh, that, you know, Ross had, had created, which is very close to what Art Wallace originally created with his Bible for, for Dark Shadows. And I think a lot of these books were written before Dark Shadows had really taken off. Yeah. Um, so the stories are very different. And there are a couple of plot lines that I wish that Dan had really considered, you know, for not that we, not that we didn't come up with some very interesting plot lines borrowing on, you know, uh, Turn of the Screw and Picture of Dorian Gray and all the things that we did do. But mm. some of these uh, Marilyn Ross plot lines were, were really interesting. Yeah, so very some very creative ideas for sure, and uh, there were so many of them, and it's just remarkable that Dan, Dan Ross was able to write that many book, and he, that was only one of the things he was doing. He was writing tons of these, uh, you know, gothic novels and things. He was very prolific, um, incredibly prolific, amazing. Yeah. And yeah. the other thing uh, I should mention, uh, you know, I'm very close to David Selby too. Yes, oh, and. Really and David and I are working with our, our mutual pal, uh, Susan Sullivan, who's one of my very oldest uh, friends. We, yeah. we met at Boy Bunnies. On yeah. a, as a matter of fact, on a rainy Sunday in February, mm-hmm. uh, two years before I was on Dark Shadow, a year before I was, yeah. years before I was on Dark Shadows. Yeah. And you so, got her on Dark Shadows as a ghost, got her right? On yeah. Dark Shadows. We uh, she came to visit me at the studio, and we went up to the Brittany Duswan had dinner, mm-hmm. and Dan was there, and I introduced them, and and uh, and he was looking for somebody to play the ghost mm-hmm. on, on uh, one of the episodes, and Susan came on board to play a ghost. <laughs> I, I think yeah. All the time. Yeah, a um, lot of people don't know. Yeah, Susan Sullivan was yeah, on dark, one episode of Dark Shadows as a ghost. Okay, yeah. But uh, Susan and, uh, you know, we're all intertwined because mm-hmm. Shelby was on Falcon Crest with her and Mitch Ryan uh, did a series with her. But then yeah. Mitch and David from 
from dark shadows. So sure. the floors are really tight. We always have been, yeah. and I'm especially close to to Mitch. So uh, yeah. we've, we've been doing several of these um, little Zoom uh, smartphone theater. We yes, call it. yeah. Uh, I, this is our, I think it's our fifth one. Of course, David and I, well, we also did the gift of the Magi together. Yeah, yes, yeah. And they, these are wonderful. I'm, I will put a link in the show notes so that people can, if you haven't watched uh, these performances, uh, they are archived on YouTube. So you can go back and watch them. And they're they're fantastic. The, the, I, um, I, the first one, Mitch was in with, was you, David, Mitch Ryan, and Susan Sullivan together. And Susan Sullivan wrote that uh, play for, for Zoom, I believe. She wrote that one, yes. yes and I yeah. also mentioned that David and I go way, way back, even when we were doing Dark Shadows. Mm -hmm. uh, we did Miss Julie uh, at the Actors Studio. Oh, I think wow. that was... Um, I think it was Mitch Ryan who who suggested that we, that we do that. Okay. And we, were, uh, we came in as guests, and we mm -hmm. did... Uh, we did Miss Julie, and and it was for um, <laughs> his name just went out of my mind. <laughs> of uh, of the actor studio. Anyway, oh. it was an incredible experience because of, of who was sitting out there yeah. in this master class, you know, watching it. Yeah. Uh, and of course, David and I were just—I mean, we were kids. We were just starting out. Uh, yeah. I think our you know, what the second year of Dark Shadows. So. Uh, but that was fun. I mean, it was that was really fun to do. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm sure I can imagine. Oh my goodness. I I wanted to ask you about this because you grew up in um was Robbinsdale, Minnesota, uh, in a, in a, on a farm, right? Yeah, on a farm in Robbinsdale, Minnesota, and, yeah. and then when I was around 12 years old. We we moved what a couple of blocks away <laughs> off the farm. Yeah. And my dad's farm is now um you know a sprawling. Uh, it's a big, you know, housing development, but, mm -hmm. but back yeah. then it was the most wonderful idyllic childhood. I've, I've written about it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we, you know, every kid in the neighborhood wanted to work on my dad's farm. He loved children mm -hmm. and, uh, he employed everybody. Yeah. So that was fun. And then we had a hill for, you know, tobogganing and, and mm -hmm. sledding in the winter and the fire department would come over and, and, uh, uh create an ice pond in the winter. Yeah. Uh, we had a woods that we played in and and there was um there was an old stone cottage ruin and of course we imagined that this wicked witch lived in it <laughs> all kinds of plays and and we did uh all sorts of um you know little pageants and productions uh piling up the cabbage crates and creating a stage yeah I mean, it was the, it was it was wonderful yeah uh, we, we had we had such freedom I, I don't know if kids can do that now, yeah. you know, I mean, my, you know, we would work on the farm, we, we, we actually really did work on the farm. And I, mm -hmm. I loved going to market with my father and early in the morning. Um, we grew vegetables, you know, for, for, um, uh, for retail markets and, yeah. and restaurants and so on. And uh, we also, uh, you know, raspberries and, and, um, uh, apples and rhubarb and yeah kind of vegetable you can think of it was it was really lovely um but also you know you could get on your bike in the morning and be gone the whole day and nobody worried about you right right yeah i i uh i hope kids can do that because um you know you grow up with such a sense of personal security 
inner right. security. It, you know, it's it's no, part of childhood that, that and, yourself. Yeah. And kids miss I think kids are missing out on and parents are can be very protect overprotective because but it's because of what they hear about you know these things that happen. It's it's scary. Um I'm sure there are places where that kind of thing still happens. At least I hope so, because that just sounds wonderful. Um, was your your dad was from Norway? Yes, my dad's Norwegian, and my wow. mother was bi bilingual. I mean, her old uh -huh. family was Norwegian, so and that was my first language. Yeah, we lived there. Uh, we were we were on the we were on the first passenger ship back to Norway. My um, mm -hmm. uh, my mother knew how how much my father wanted to go back. His father had died during the war. And uh, and of course, Norway was occupied. Um, I get emotional when I think about it because mm -hmm. uh, it was such a, uh, I, I was a toddler, but uh, you have your very earliest memories when, you know, something, something momentous happens in your young life. And mm -hmm. there's such a lot of that that I do remember. Uh, the trip over was momentous. And um, and of course, you know, I was I was with all of my cousins. We, we were all around the same age, mm -hmm. and uh, oh, that that was just wonderful. I'm still close to them, yeah. uh, but we spent a year there, and uh, my father had a farm, and that's why we were allowed to be on that first passenger ship back. As a matter of fact, it was a passenger ship that had been converted to a troop ship during the war, so it was really pretty primitive. And uh, uh, you, you wonder how your you wonder how your parents manage this, uh, but anyway, my mother was bilingual, so um, she had no problem, you know, going back. And Norway was war torn. Uh, we had we we went back with a, a trunk full of um, uh, sugar, butter, flour, um, fabrics, uh, and. I don't know, dozens of pairs of brown Oxfords for every cousin in the family. <laughs> and I remember, uh, again, we were, we were just little. And uh, I remember taking the, the shoestrings and, and we had to fray them on the edge of the, um, of the steps, yeah. uh, you know, so they, and, and scuff the shoes up a little bit so that they would look worn, uh, although they were brand new. And um, so we could, you know, bring them back into Norway. Nice. Uh, but that was a, it was just an, uh, it was an amazing, it was an amazing time. And it's, it's incredible that I, I should remember so much of it. I, I, I love hearing about this because, uh, my parents are from, um, the Azores, uh, islands of Portugal and I'm, I'm first generation American. So I, uh, Portuguese was my first language. My, my, both of my parents also spoke English. They learned English when they came to America. So they, you know, they taught me both languages, but uh, I had a little Portuguese accent when I was little. And, um, but it, it's a, it was a very agrarian society. And we also sent bar sent barrels of stuff to our cousins yeah. there. We're still very close to our family, uh, Portuguese family members. And where I grew up, there was a very um, tight, Portuguese community. I don't know if there was there a Norwegian community in Robbinsdale. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think uh, uh, where I grew up in in Minneapolis. Um, I think uh, I think it was a suburb of Oslo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was. But you know, my dad was such an interesting fellow. 
Um, you know, he was a farmer, but he also wrote a humor column for five Norwegian newspapers. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a very funny man. And my my parents met doing amateur theatricals and uh, in Minneapolis. Uh, and uh, and uh, and they, you know, danced with a Norwegian folk dancing group. Mm-hmm. And my father knew such interesting uh, people. I remember uh, Carl Sandberg uh, came to Robbinsdale actually to dedicate a school, a Carl Sandberg school. And uh, and I was uh, on the school newspaper, and I was assigned to cover him. And I remember. Uh, my father saying, yeah, you should put on the, that, that red suit you made. I made a red <laughs> suit in home ec class. And um, uh, so you'll stand out. And he said, and say hello to him from me. My father knew Carl Sandberg from, you know, the Five Corners down, downtown Minneapolis, oh, wow. uh, which was um, very much uh, an immigrant uh, area. Mm-hmm. And all these amazing, Vachel Lindsay, all these people, uh, you know, came came through. I mean, it was a very bohemian crowd, and uh, Brenda Uland, whom you you wouldn't know, but she was a writer. Um, you know, and she happened to be there, and um, and I think recognized my name, and uh, which was an unusual name, and and knew my dad, and Carl Sandberg saw me there along with all of these. You know uh, the Minneapolis Star Tribune and the Chicago Tribune and the Fargo Moorhead News. All of these people were there, and uh, and of course I was there in my little red suit. And Carl Sandberg called me up, and uh, and I had my steno pad with my little notes written out, and um, I interviewed him in front of all of these people, oh, asking my questions one by one, writing them out. Anyway, I won a state journalism award. For the piece that I wrote, uh-huh. uh, which made me feel like a you know a writer at at uh, what fifteen, almost sixteen years old, mm-hmm. it was an incredible experience. But you know, to be able to interview somebody like that, and I'd read all of his, you know, I I really boned up before this interview. Sure, it was an extraordinary experience, and you imagine something like that happening to a farm girl in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. You know, there's things it's thrilling. Life- it's thrilling. Oh, it must well, be they're life changing. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. And and you, I mean, it's it just blows my mind when I think about this. And you're you're so inspiring because you <laughs> went. You really are. I, I honestly, you went from growing up in this small farm community, and you left to go to college um, in Illinois, I think it was. And then you went- Oh, if only. I, well, oh. yes, when yeah. I was 16, and this yeah. too was life-changing. Yeah. Um, well, I'd, I'd won a, a state award for, um, a, uh, well, a soliloquy I'd done for this acting thing. Yeah. And thanks to my speech and drama teacher uh, in school, um, uh, she helped me to apply to Northwestern University. Yeah. And I was accepted in their cherub program. I was 16 years old. I was given a scholarship and that actually covered my train ride to Evanston. And that summer was life changing for a 16 year old meeting 16 year old kids from all over the United States and um, and sitting around talking about Chekhov and Strindberg and and I remember sitting under the tree on the campus and with all these other kids and talking about, you know, um, life, 
and yeah. you know who are we and what you know all of those sure. all of the kinds of things that you know young kids you know feel like never nobody has ever talked about those things before um but anyway it was life-changing and uh and then i i was given a partial scholarship to come back for university but it was nowhere near enough northwestern was very expensive and and living in evanston it wasn't something that uh, was going to happen and uh and I, I but i i was heartbroken that you know i wouldn't be able to go to college there and uh and i didn't want to go back for my senior year of high school so i i um i um i had this plan and uh i i was going to uh somehow get in touch with my local bank this is before venmo <laughs> this is before sure venmo. yeah <laughs> my hands and my my savings from my bank and uh, i was going to take the bus uh from chicago to florida and then uh find a way to get to cuba because there was a revolution going on yeah. and uh and i i figured i could harvest sugar cane and i knew how to drive a tractor and uh, so i I, the, I i wanted anything but to go back to robbinsdale yeah. um, and uh, my my parents got wind of it, and they they uh, they drove to Evanston and hauled me back. <laughs> so I, I spent I think I spent my senior year in high school sort of in mourning for my life. I uh -huh. uh, uh, but I did end up going to um, a college in Minnesota uh, with a wonderful theater department, mm -hmm. and the theater department uh, uh, actually had their own summer theater and they hired real life new york actors and and uh and that summer uh again a fluke but um one of the real live new york actors said so what are you doing here do you want to act or do you want to teach and i said i want to act and he told me about the american academy of dramatic arts i didn't know such places existed and uh and i applied and I got a scholarship, I think, because of Northwestern and everything. And um, and I, next thing I knew, I was I was on my way to New York. Yeah. I, again, a couple of life changing experiences. Yes. Really. But and, it's it's um, so inspiring that you did that. I mean, and you pursued your dreams. You went to. I mean, that must have been both exhilarating and terrifying to go <laughs> to New York. At what, 19 years old were you at the time? Uh, not quite. Uh, yeah, not quite. <laughs> anyway, I, yeah, because I, I um, uh, yes, yeah, a lot happened. That's so, a I mean. A lot it's... happened in that tiny little period mm -hmm. of time. And mm -hmm. then, um, uh, well, I needed money to live on. Mm -hmm. and, and so I saw that ad in the New York Times, girls step into the the spotlight, be a Playboy bunny. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I, I applied and I, I got a job as a Playboy bunny to yeah. play, you know, pay room and board. But mm -hmm. the women that I met, the young women uh, that I I got to meet, uh, um, just an amazing group of women. Uh, many of them are still my friends. Uh, it's why I wrote the book. Um, I was in bunny training with Gloria Steinem. There were only six of us in bunny training, mm -hmm. and she was a lot older. But we had dinner together and and uh, spent time together. Uh, and you, you were know. doing this while you were you were a bunny while you were, while you were at the American Academy. And that's yeah. the thing. I mean, Gloria knew, you know, that that I had a scholarship, that I was going to school. Mm -hmm. She knew I was working as a Playboy bunny. None of that was in her idiotic article that she wrote. 
and uh, and it was so offensive to to all of us who were you know 18 19 years old um, very ambitious and then to read about us in such a disparaging and and marginalizing way and um, uh, I you know I don't know why it uh, but it had uh, that too had a big effect on me it yeah. really angered me yeah and then about 15 20 years later I ran into her and I had just done a book she had just written the, her biography of, of revolution within and we bumped into each other at a book party in new york and uh and and chatted and uh and, and she thought she i think knew me and i said no no you wouldn't remember me we were in bunny training together <laughs> anyway i thought uh, you know this woman um still doesn't get it yeah that's was my opinion. anyway yeah. that, that's why i wrote the book and i'm so glad that i did because uh, I reunited with a lot of the women that I had worked with and, uh, and just doing the research for that book mm -hmm. and, um, and just, uh, and it awakened a lot of, uh, a lot of the things that I so cared about when I was young, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and made me think about so many things, uh, mm -hmm. values and, mm -hmm. and so on. Yeah. Uh, and I'm really glad that I wrote the book. Yeah. Uh, and you shed light on something that most people don't know a lot about, you know, and you. Well, you she know. had written what I, I did not want what she had written to be the gospel of the way yes. things. Were. Yeah. Because she wrote about us. And what I wanted to do was to give voice to the women that I had worked with and their experiences. Yeah. And that's what the book was. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that was a that was one of those self-learning experiences. Yeah. What what was the American Academy of Dramatic Arts like? Because I have to tell you, I auditioned for the American Academy of Dramatic Arts when I was younger, and I I got it. I got in, um, but I didn't go. Uh, I didn't have a uh, I didn't have a scholarship, and I didn't have enough financial aid to go there. I got I auditioned in New York for the L.A. American Academy, but I ended up going to San Francisco State University instead to their theater program. Ultimately, I'm glad I did because I met my late husband in San Francisco and I wouldn't have met him if I hadn't gone to San Francisco. But I often think about what it would have been like uh, to have gone. You, you know, you can't look back and be like, oh, did I make the right choice? I did. I met met my husband. But I wonder what it would have been like to go to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. How was that experience? Well, it was wonderful. But, you know, mm -hmm. I, are we the same person, Danielle? <laughs> <laughs> There are a few experiences. Yes. Well, yeah. Well, you... you were heartbroken. I know what it was like not being able to go to Northwestern. So, um, but then, then I have to say, you know, what if, mm -hmm. what if I had stayed in college in Minnesota and become a teacher? What if I had gone to Cuba? Uh, well, you know, there are so many what ifs. Sure. Uh, if I'd gone to Northwestern, I would have led a very different life. So would you. And and I wouldn't change a thing. The yeah. people that I met, the experiences that I had, and for you to meet your husband, and you know, no, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have met him if I hadn't gone to San Francisco. Was, so I think I, the, the story is you can't look back. The American <laughs> Academy was uh, a, was a terrific experience. Um, mm -hmm. Again, you know, is uh, thrown in with all of these young people my age, mm -hmm. uh, and. Uh, 
and working with some really wonderful uh, teachers. As a matter of fact, Harry Master George, who was my teacher at the American Academy, uh, after my husband passed away, and uh, and I needed, uh, I really needed to shake myself up and and uh, and get back into acting and and work, and and I sought Harry out and I started studying with him again. He was oh, in his eighties. He was in his. That's 80s. so cool. Oh, I went back and and studied with him, and yeah. and I'm so glad that I did. He was a, a remarkable teacher. Yes. And um, and I studied with Wynne Hammond and with uh, Uta Hagen. I worked with the Berghoff uh, Foundation. Herbert Berghoff started a little repertory unit. I worked with him. Um, I had the extraordinary privilege of working with Paul Draper, who is um, a dancer and, uh, and and one of the the blacklisted. And we did three little plays together, uh, original plays that uh, Herbert Berghoff directed. And I worked with uh, Uta Hagen in a play that uh, Saul Bellow wrote based on one of his books. Um, so these were amazing experiences that happened uh, because I went to the American Academy and then and then um, because of people that I met there ended up at the Berghoff Foundation. So uh, that that two years that I, I spent uh, working as a Playboy bunny yeah. uh, until one o'clock. <laughs> You know, jumping into a taxi and putting on my false eyelashes yeah. and racing in and and uh, working the cocktail shift uh, at the at the Playboy Club. I mean, two two very wow. different yeah work. yeah. Did you did you get uh, home, homesick at all? No, I I no, didn't. I didn't. You didn't. No, no, no. I I uh, I'm so close to my family. Yeah, but uh, being homesick, no. I I was just I was thrilled with every every. <laughs> And and again, the American Academy was amazing because you were working with all of these people like Paul Curtis, who founded the American Mime Company uh, Theater, and I, I studied with him. Um, later, when I got to know Marcel Marceau, um, yes, yeah. that was, uh, it was amazing because I, I had already studied meme and I had, you know, uh, some background in that. And, um, and so many of the teachers, Max Fisher and, uh, isn't that funny, I can remember all of their names. Mm -hmm. Frances Fuller uh, was head of it. Worthington Minor uh, was her husband and, and he directed me in the first uh, play written in the United States. The, uh, it was a restoration comedy called The Contrast and I did it in the first season of the um, Eugene, Eugene O'Neill Festival. And unfortunately, I didn't get to open there because, um, uh, Peter Miner, Worthington Miner's son, was working with Dan Curtis, and I had auditioned several times for Dark Shadows. And um, uh, and one day, Peter said, uh, you know, because I, anyway, too long a story, but uh, the truth of the thing is, I thought I could do both, and uh, but we started rehearsals for Dark Shadows, and that was the end of that. Right, right. Again, it was just a, a, a lot of experiences crammed into a very uh, brief and, and wonderful time in my life. Oh, how exciting. Uh, just New York in the 60s, just the, the theater scene in New York in the 60s just sounded so electrifying. And, and just reading about it, it just seems like it was such an amazing, creative time with all of these artistic people doing all kinds of interesting things. And you were at the heart of that. That's really cool. 
Yes, I was, but I have to tell you, Daniela, uh, when you're in New York, I mean, people, you're going. It doesn't matter. People will always tell you, well, if you'd been here in Greenwich Village ten years ago, or you know. Uh, um, oh right, yeah, it was better. It was better then. <laughs> was extraordinary because you know there were, there was Cafe Chino and and uh, all of these wonderful um, uh, theaters. Yeah. You know these little uh, coffee house theaters, uh, Cafe La Mama, and uh, oh, so many of them. And then when I got to London, uh, Sam Shepard, who'd been you know doing that, you know, off off Broadway, off 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 Broadway. You know, he was doing lunchtime theater in London when I got there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was an exciting time. It was uh, it was sort of uh, sort of bohemian, sort yeah. of. Sort of, sort of a lot of things. Yeah, but it was uh, very fresh and alive. I don't know how these young actors now can go to New York to. I mean, they must live like ten to an, an apartment because it's so expensive to live in. in My apartment in New York was fifty nine dollars a month, and it was wow. a garden apartment on uh, in the mid fifty near Sutton Place. Mm -hmm. near um, yeah, fifty nine dollars a month, mm -hmm. and you know. Uh, well, of course, I was a Playboy Bunny, so I could afford to go to Bendel's yeah. and all those kinds of places. <laughs> but, um, no, I don't know how how they do it, and and uh, and uh, even though there are so many more platforms, and and uh, you know, it seems like so many things available to kids now, it feels more limiting than it did. Yeah. They, I mean, they find I, they find ways to do it, but I think it's just as groups they go with other people and they all go in on one small apartment and they they make it work. People are still doing it, but it's it must be quite the challenge. Um, I didn't realize that you had auditioned for Dark Shadows several times. You said so. It was uh, I did. Oh yes, yeah. uh, I did. I auditioned uh, quite a few times, and but it was really interesting because the uh, Dan's office was up on Madison Avenue. Mm -hmm. And I remember uh, uh, Louis Edmonds and, and Nancy Barrett were both there at one of the one of the times that I was there auditioning. And then uh, uh, Eleanor Kilgallen, uh, Dorothy Kilgallen's sister, by the way, um, was running uh, the uh, whatever that program was at Universal. Um, and and I was sent out to do a, a, a screen test for for one of those universal contracts and and the, the uh, night after I did it and I was I was there um my agent got in touch and said that uh I, I had to come back right away on a red eye and and um do a camera test for uh dark shadows and I flew back and the the script was on my <laughs> in front of my door that's how you did things in those days my agent literally dropped it off in front of my door and um, and I auditioned uh, that morning with uh, Mitch Ryan and uh, you wouldn't know Henry Henry Mad Chick Madden. I knew him because he'd been a room director at the Playboy Club. But um, the, the two and he, they were both actors, studio actors, 
And I auditioned with both of them, but nobody else was auditioning for Maggie Evans. So I figured I had the role. And then afterward, we went to Joe Allen and we sat at the bar having breakfast together. And I thought, which of these guys is going to play Burke Devlin? <laughs> I had no idea. It was, I had no idea until uh, the first day of rehearsal. And, and there was Mitch Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> so, then I knew. And if, I, my God, he's, <sighs> he's one of my... He's just one of my favorites. Yeah, um, I was very, very close to Joel Crothers and um, and Mitch Ryan. I think I was closer to them than anybody. And uh, uh, you know, they were they were there that first year. Yeah, and then um, and then sadly, Mitch, you know, um, yeah, left the show, and that was that was a sad occasion. It, yeah, it was, uh, I just had John Logan on, on the podcast and we were talking about how Dark Shadows lost something special when, when Mitch oh, left. He and, was, uh, he was remarkable. Yeah. So he was a wonderful actor, but, uh, you know, I wrote, I wrote, I wrote a book called Dark Passages where I kind of turned everything on its ear and I, <laughs> one of the characters is based on, uh, on Mitch and um there was something about him that was larger than life uh he was just he was just yummy yeah. <laughs> uh, i don't know i don't know how to say he was very um charismatic he was and we had a we had a something happened with us that was a life i won't talk about it but it was a uh a, a lifelong bonding experience up until yeah. And I saw him shortly before he died. I wrote about him, the piece that I wrote for um, Daytime Gothic. For, oh, you've read it, Stuart yeah. Mann. Yeah. Uh, I wrote a piece. Uh, I went to see Mitch right before he died, and he was he's he was reading John Dos Passes, and we had this wonderful conversation, and uh, I, and then we had a private moment where where we we talked about what happened. Um, Oh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, he was just very important in my life and very important to me uh, as a young actor. Uh, just working with him, I learned such a lot. You know, it was the first time I was on camera and um, not that he was that much more experienced, but there was something about him that just gave you a, a sense of being solid on your pins just uh I, I can't describe it but you work with certain actors uh and they 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 uh you just feel solid with them yeah and the fact that we had so many of those scenes in the early days and uh you know together and joel was the same way he was wonderful too yeah joel was the same way he gave me that same feeling mm -hmm. later i found it with johnny carlin Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, to some extent with Jonathan Fred. Yeah. We had the oddest relationship. Uh, very, uh, very close. Very close. And, um, and, a, and a remarkable kind of trust between us. Um, uh, and we didn't socialize that much together, although we did. We had dinner. But uh, he was always there for me. When I wrote my first book, he actually flew out and did a, a book signing with me. 
uh, I did, there were six, 700 people standing in line outside of Walden Books. Uh, he was always there for me. Yeah. Uh, so, and yeah, we were, we were just very close. It sounds like there was a very special bond with that group of actors in that show. It, and it's, it's clear when, uh, seeing, you know, interviews with all of you on stage together and stuff that there's, um, a, there's a familial kind of, uh, feeling there. Yeah. I think there's some reasons for that. I, mm -hmm. I, uh, one, we had our own little studio. We were mm -hmm. in our, we had our own little family unit. And then when I played Josette, which was the first time one of us had a, a chance to play, a, you know, multiple characters. Yeah. Um, and we started functioning more like a repertory unit going this way and that way in time and parallel time and <laughs> playing lots of different characters. Um, that's, I, there was a cohesive thing that happened, really happened then. And that was in that, at the end of that first year. Um, and there were, there were other, uh, there were other reasons too. Some of it had to do with Dan Curtis, who would, <laughs> who was really larger than life, who would organize these dinners. And, uh, and he had a, he just had a, I, he, he had a way of, um, even when we did the, the first film, he got us all together we had to raise money for it i remember he took me and uh and a couple of the other i can't remember who it was it might have might have been jonathan fred but he took a couple of us up to meet joe levine we had no idea who joe levine was and uh and uh, took took us up to his office and said this these are my people <laughs> 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 and I, uh, uh, you know, we were, I, I, we were his dancing bears. We were his little pony show. And, uh, but, you know, that, that, that kind of added to that kind of Andy Hardy feeling, you know, kids that we're going to, you know, put on sure. a show. Um, but, but I think that that was also part of it. And, uh, and the, the, the fact that we were this amazing mix of old and young, mm -hmm. we were the young ones. Uh, not to say that David Hennessy, who is the most experienced of all of us, <laughs> yes, in our background, um, but uh, we were the young ones. Yeah. But then we have uh, to be working with people like um, Thayer David and and uh, Clarice Blackburn and Joan Bennett, sure. uh, you know, uh, Humbert Estrado, yeah. um, Louis Edmonds, yeah, oh, and Louis Edmonds mm -hmm. to be working with th those people. Uh, yeah, and and to be working with Leela Swift, who came out of live TV, and the other thing, the the big important element is that we were live, mm -hmm. so uh, it was like working in summer stock, except we didn't have that luxury of a full week. Um, to uh, we put a show together in one day. We we came in raw in the morning at eight, and by three thirty, uh, we were performing live. Yeah, live, and um, and you couldn't make a mistake. You couldn't flub. And it's not just the actors that couldn't. It was the crew. No, the camera crew couldn't flub. The TD and all the people in the in the booth they couldn't flub. Mm -hmm. So uh, that that's another. We really depended on each other. Yeah. Um, so I think that was another reason for building up that family unit. Sure. And you you all um, came out of the theater. I mean, these were all, everybody seemed to have 
some background in theater, whether you're young actors or or more mature actors, and that I could imagine that that would also be a uh, a unifying factor there with all of the cast members. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, <laughs> yeah, all of us. All of us had theater experience. Certainly, Joel did, and he did Barefoot in the Park while we were um, while we were doing. Dark Shadows, Mitch Ryan did, um, I want to say Murder in the Dark, <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, he was doing theater, and I went off to do theater, and I I worked with Michael Shirtliff off, uh, off, off Broadway, I did the Berghoff things, uh, so I was doing a bit of theater, everybody was. Yeah. You have mentioned a few times that when Dark Shadows shifted from into the supernatural when Dan Curtis decided you're going to go supernatural with Dark Shadows. You mentioned some of the people involved with the show weren't thrilled about that. Like Le- <laughs> uh, I had read somewhere that Leela Swift was one of them, but I don't know if that's just hearsay from fans. I don't know. Do you remember who? Oh, I remember was- that. Yes. And I've written about it. So, so yeah, I can kind of download what I remember from uh, uh, when I wrote it. Um, if you remember, uh, 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 what was his name? Paul Schofield. He played the oh uh, Bill Malloy. Bill Malloy when he was the ghost. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and and that was the thing that put uh, uh, Leela Swift over the the edge. Oh, so it was Leela who was not thrilled about the supernatural no, stuff. No, no, no. It's not that she wasn't thrilled about it, but she wasn't sure that Dan Curtis was aware that uh, not only you know could um, who was it. Uh, uh, Sarah, oh uh, Sharon Smith, yeah, see see the ghost and that uh, and and Malloy, uh, but the audience could and other and she said we've crossed the line we're we're now doing a ghost story. Oh, yeah. it was when uh, Victoria Winters oh, was yeah. Alexandra was seeing was seeing that's Bill right. Malloy. That's yeah, yeah. And uh, and and when that happened, that's when uh, that's when Leela called Dan on it and and just said, "You realize we're now doing a ghost story." And I, I think Dan was pretty much aware of that because I think his dream started out with a ghost story. So I think that was always there in his is his mind. Um, but when that happened, that's when the big shift happened. And then I was there the day that Jonathan Fred first appeared. And, you know, Jonathan uh, appeared fully formed as that character on day one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came on with the the wolf's head cape, the the cape, the no. the spiky hair, uh, the the uh, the ring, and the voice, and the and that uh, uh, that sort of transatlantic, <laughs> kind yeah. of, you know, way of speaking, and um, and I remember a, a couple of the actors uh, just you know just said, oh my gosh, ghoulies and goblins, you know, now we're. <laughs> We're doing, you know, paranormal, um, uh, and and I think they they weren't happy about it, but because before that we were sort of a, an old fashioned gothic bodice ripper, yeah. we were romance. We were a um, we weren't quite the soap that other shows were doing. I mean, you couldn't confuse us with those. No, <laughs> um, but uh, but we as soon as we had you know vampires and werewolves and witches. Um, and I was there. Dan, I think, had me audition with um, Diana Malay when they brought her on. And uh, and when we started doing th- those kinds of stories, you know, we were clearly in uh, in the world of paranormal. Mm-hmm. 
So, and I think that some were not happy about it, but of course, then the ratings more than made up for it. And and Barnabas create. I mean, that character of Barnabas that Jonathan created was just so full and rich. Yeah. And uh, and had so, so many dimensions to it. I mean, he really brought a vulnerability to, uh, you know, to this bloodlusting character. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I, and I think everybody came around. We all loved Jonathan. Oh, sure. I mean, it was the first time ever in any kind of, uh, you know, story where you've got a really fully formed character for a vampire. It wasn't just this, you know, undead being killing people. He had a whole backstory and was complex. And Jonathan Fritt always would say in the interviews, he liked playing between the two poles playing those shades of gray in that character and it was really right. fascinating to see that yeah yeah Absolutely. yeah no he and and uh uh no it, it, he 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 brought a lot of excitement to the show mm -hmm. and uh to say nothing of ratings yeah. <laughs> we, we, um uh that that made it that made a huge difference mm -hmm. and um and for a young actor to be able to utilize everything that you've learned in drama school uh, you know, we, that was, that was amazing. Yeah. And, and we kind of made it up as we went along and, and, uh, watched the veteran actors. So, you know, what they were mm -hmm. doing and, um, uh, and, and it felt perfectly natural. Yeah. That's what's I, so, that's what's so amazing. It just all felt perfectly natural. Yeah. And I can see also why some of some, maybe some of the people involved would be, have some trepidation too, because as the show went on, those characters who were um, at the human characters, I guess, kind of became the victims of these supernatural beings that would come on to the show. And they it, the focus shifted more to what's going on with Barnabas and Julia and whatever in the lab or all of this in the human character, like David Ford's character for Sam, your pop, your, yeah. <laughs> your pop in the show, Sam Evans. He, you know, he was a pretty prominent character early on but he kind of started to get more and more into the background I think so I could see that kind of thing happening with some of the original cast members but you stayed front and center as the ingenue of the show as it went on you Josette and, and Maggie and all of this but some of the people in the show I could see getting frustrated maybe no 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 I think I need to clarify there okay uh, uh, David Ford was doing the 76. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and some of the others, uh, you know, they were, they were going off to do other things. Uh, Alexandra left the show because yeah. she was having a baby and, um, uh, no, I don't think, uh, and David Ford did go back in time. Obviously he played my father oh, in yes. yeah. the Gisette thing. Uh, no, there were other reasons why he left the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, 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 no, that, that oh, and and Clarice, I think uh, uh, you know she was very much a part of our show. But then I think she went off to do something else. Yeah. Um, so uh, I don't know. I just wanted yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about you talked a little bit about M Mitchell Ryan and Jonathan Fred, and the last time I had you on the podcast, you started talking about 
uh, Joan Bennett. And we did, we got a little derailed because we were also talking about the Christmas Carol, but I wanted to come back to Joan Bennett because you had such nice things to say about her. And I wanted to, to hear about some of your memories of Joan. And so I'm going to mention some of the cast members that you worked with, and I'd love to hear and your Joan, thoughts. Uh, Joan had four daughters, uh, mm. and, uh, Diana and, uh, Stephanie and, and Mumsy, uh, Mimsy and, um, uh, Shelley, they were, they were all approximately the same age as the mm -hmm. four of us, uh, Laura Parker, Alexandra, um, Nancy Barrett and me, and she treated us like, like her daughters. And, um, and I remember she once took me aside and said, and asked me if I really wanted to be dating that person I was seeing, <laughs> um, because she knew him and, um, and she and she uh, she was very motherly uh, toward all of us, and uh, and very free with unsolicited advice uh, as a mother is. <laughs> uh, and but I learned things about acting from her that you know that that were just old studio things, things that she knew as a as an actress. Uh, but more than that, you know, she was in a production company with her husband, um, Wanger and uh, Fritz Long. Uh, and and uh, she was very much. She was so organized, and uh, so there were some. Um, but the fact that she had that experience with uh, with um, Wenger and with uh, and with Fritz Long, she 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 had uh, hmm, she had she was she was more than just an actress on Dark Shadows. She brought so much more to it. And then uh, after the show went off the air, Joan and I became even closer. We became girlfriends. And she lived up in Scarsdale. And I used to go up to Scarsdale, take the train up. And, uh, and <laughs> I would stay there. And, uh, and we'd sit up until two o'clock in the morning drinking white wine. Uh -huh. And she would tell me these amazing stories, which I cannot share about, uh, about Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood. <laughs> Stories that make me blush, really, uh, but they were just wonderful, gossipy stories. And um, uh, uh, because she had, she loved men. And <laughs> and uh, and I remember uh, at one point uh, she showed me uh, she showed me her um, screen test for uh, Gone with the Wind, which now you can actually see. I think you can go on YouTube or whatever. But she happened to have uh, her screen test for Gone with the Wind, but also Paulette Goddard's and a few others. Wow. And, and so, so she gave me all kinds of wonderful background stories on, on, uh, on these other women. Uh, just wonderful stuff. You, I mean, you, you know, you, um, I will always carry that with me. Yeah. And, uh, and when she passed away, I was, I was heartbroken. Uh, and she, um, uh, you know, when I when I wrote the lobby card books, I asked her if she would write the foreword to, uh, you know, to the first lobby card book. Bob Hope wrote the foreword to the second. And you probably know this, you're a writer yourself, but um, the dirty little secret is very few people ever write their own forewords or introductions. You write them for them. I have written, <laughs> I have now written a foreword for Hef, for Walter Mondale, for Bob Hope. <laughs> 
<laughs> because it, I was, you know, when I was publishing. Uh, so I've written a lot of forewords for people. Two people wrote their own. Ginger Rogers wrote her own foreword for the, the Hollywood at Your Feet book that I published. And Joan Bennett wrote her own for the lobby card book. And not only that, she flew out. I had a, a, a big book party at the um, Hollywood Studio Museum, which I, I very much tried to promote. I used to have all of my book signings there. Uh, it's the old Jesse Lasky uh, studio. And, uh, and I tried to help raise money for them. And, uh, and she flew out for that. And, uh, and so many of her Hollywood friends were there, Cesar Romero and all kinds of amazing, fun people. Oh, uh, Jane Withers and uh, Mae Clark oh. <laughs> and, uh, and, and wow. uh, uh, Janet Lee. Yeah. And, uh, I'm trying to think. Anyway, uh, just these wonderful people showed up because yeah. of Joan. And um, it was just an extraordinary, extraordinary party. Mm. She was there for me all the time. And, and I have to say, I was there for her. Always there for her. I just, uh, I loved her. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing all of that. I, it's, yeah. it's great to hear about, about this. Um, Fritz Long visited the the studio. He was a fan of the show. He, I mean, he, he was. He knew Joan, I, was but his... I was there that day and I met him. And uh, and I remember him standing uh, uh, next to um, uh, Skip, the cameraman, uh, uh, I think he was doing most of Joan's close-ups in the in the scene. And uh, he took Mel Handelsman aside, who did the lighting. And the next thing you knew, there was a little eyelight. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Great. <laughs> he, wanted, he, he wanted Joan well lit. Yeah. He, and, uh, and he was just lovely. It was, it was amazing to meet him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I had uh, Don Glute on the podcast a couple of years couple of years back uh and don you know wrote prolific writer he wrote a lot for television and he wrote the novelization of the empire strikes back and he knew uh fari ackerman so he said Fritz oh, yes. of course yeah. ackerman was fabulous yes yeah i met him once or he was he was oh, wonderful it was wonderful to meet him yeah. and uh, i guess fritz long would go to ackerman's house and watch dark shadows there apparently ah! so, what <laughs> According to Don Glute, yeah. So, and you didn't want anybody to bother him while he was watching Dark Shadows. So. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> you yeah. should ask Don about that because yeah, he he told some interesting stories when I had him on too. Um, what about um, you? Talked a little about Joel Crothers. You were you were very close friends as well, right? Outside yeah, of Dark Shadows, we dated for a, for a while, and and we were we were just uh, we were just really close friends. And of course, I. It was a, it's the fun story one one day I, um, and I started going out with uh, time life photographer Ben Martin who yeah. who was on assignment in Rome and I remember I I happened to mention um, because I had five days off and I said that I was taking an Alitalia flight that night to spend time with with Ben and uh, and uh, around six o'clock that night <laughs> my doorbell rang there was Joel. Uh, with a suitcase and an Alitalia ticket in hand, oh. and uh, those were the when you actually had to go and buy one at a, you know. Anyway, um, and we went out to the airport together, and when we boarded, the stewardesses recognized us, <laughs> and uh, and and it just said, "Is, is are Joe and Maggie running off together?" 
I love it. Uh, and then, of course, Ben was so surprised. He picked us up the next morning as MGBGT, the tiny little car, <laughs> and, and stuffed Joel into the back of it and, uh, and uh, found him a room at the same hotel we were staying at, the Angleterre. And, and Joel and I uh, would, you know, sightsee while Ben was working, he was doing a story at the Vatican. Mm -hmm. and Joel and I went to visit the Vatican and I was wearing a mini skirt and I, they wouldn't let me in. And uh, so Joel said, he said, can't you just unzip your skirt and pull it down? Because I was wearing a long jacket. So there I was with my skirt <laughs> on my hips uh, with the two of us walking <laughs> in the basilica. It was, uh -huh. I mean, it was just, he was so funny. And and I, I just, uh, yeah, I just loved him. Yeah, uh, we we were we were just really, really close. And I think I, yeah, I was the first one that he discussed certain uh, personal matters with. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I think that I think there was just a, a wonderful trust between us. I think yeah. he, felt, he felt safe and in, in uh, you know, sharing some things. And um, uh yeah yeah, yeah I, I was uh, it was so sad when when he passed away so so young yeah that's a tragedy it really really is um but uh, i always talk about on the podcast we talk about dark shadows joe and maggie were my, <laughs> they were so such a sweet couple it was so sad <laughs> what happened they both end up at Wincliffe. like <laughs> <laughs> Well, Dan sent me off to Wincliffe, and, and that was because he thought it was. He, he asked me to come over to his office, and I my my contract expired, and I refused to sign a new one. And uh, so I worked another six months and did the film without the contract. And um, and then he he told me flat out that I was crazy <laughs> to to be leaving to you know to move to Paris, and. Uh, and so that's why you sent me to Wincliffe. <laughs> that's great. I did want to ask you about when you reunited with Dan to do Turn of the Screw uh, in England. What was that like? You played Miss <laughs> Jessel in yeah, Turn of the Screw. Of all, uh, <laughs> unleashing uh, a, a madman like Dan Curtis on a poor English crew. Um, <laughs> I will never forget that we were standing out in this field and uh, we were starting to lose light or I, I, whatever was happening. And uh, the AD whispered something in his ear and he turned around and said, what the fuck is a tea break? <laughs> I mean, he, I, he was just a people on the floor. Uh, he, I mean, he, was, he was just larger than yeah. life. And when we were filming that, we were staying in a stately home and there was there were just enough bedrooms in this old stately home to accommodate um it was megs jenkins uh, jimmy lawrence and um lynn redgrave yeah and uh uh what's his name um i can't remember the cat it's gone out of my head uh, me too i'm just cutting in real quick neither one of us could remember it was uh john Barron as mr fredericks and james lawrence and played peter quint it was just a it was a fabulous experience but but seeing dan work and and this was his first time working with a i think an english crew and uh <laughs> i they he was <laughs> you you knew what was coming but they they were in for a surprise did, did... <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I worked with I worked with Dan, I guess, about four four times after Dark Shadows. Mm -hmm. He seemed to always, you know, he had 
the people that he yeah, really liked working with and his repertory company that he would pull back in to do different things. Yeah. yeah. He worked with Johnny Carlin several times and, uh, and, you know, he had a huge fondness for Mitch Ryan. I think it broke his heart that he, uh, that that didn't work out. Um, Mitch but, said he was, I remember listening to Mitch Ryan say that, that Dan Curtis was practically in tears when he had to, uh, when that happened. Yeah. So I mean, it was there that day. Oh, I would, I was there. I was there. As a matter of fact, we were doing a scene together in, uh, I was Maggie, and we were doing a scene together in the diner. Mm. And, uh, and I remember he came, oh, he disappeared. He disappeared uh, around 10 o'clock that morning, which was the time when, you know, some of the guys could slip out and have breakfast, but the rest of us were you know, with all that hair and whatnot, makeup. And um, and uh, he didn't come back. And Bob Costello was out looking for him. And somebody said, you know, uh, try the barbershop around. You know, I mean, anyway, he found him giving himself a haircut in this barbershop. And he came back with this unbelievable haircut, yeah. kind of a mohawk. Oh my goodness! And uh, and I remember uh, I remember Leela Swift saying, "Can't we put a deer stalker on him?" I, I something <laughs> idiotic. And uh, but then he came on and and he delivered his lines like you know, Iago. And, uh, yeah. And uh, and I I remember hearing Leela's voice saying, "Okay, that's a wrap. We're back Sunday." And uh, uh, yeah, and that was the end. Do you that think was, Mitch was unhappy being on on the show at that point? No, 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 Mitch, no, 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 yeah. no. He he, um, uh, well, he had a drinking problem. Yeah, so yeah, I know. yeah, and uh, no, 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 yeah, no. I uh, he would have been, I think, very happy to continue. Oh. Yeah, I'm glad he came back for uh, both. He did one of the big Finnish audio plays with you and brought back Burke Devlin, which was really wonderful. Yes, and <laughs> that was great. And you did the Chris, he was able to do the Christmas Carol uh, right. and and with all of you. And that was and by the way, he's special you know, thing. He he wrote a, he wrote a book and yes. very, very open about mm -hmm. the drinking problem. And yeah. he was over something like 46 years, 47 years. Mm -hmm when he died yeah so he was very open about that so mm -hmm. i don't mind mentioning it yeah uh, and he was very proud of of uh of having made that yes and continued on and had a great successful career uh and uh, he's very, he was very open about that i've heard many interviews with him where he talked about it so um another one of your cast members i want to close the the podcast because i know you're busy but i want to talk to you a little bit about lara parker could you please share some thoughts or memories about lara <laughs> <laughs> um yes i uh laura and i were very close so we uh we worked so often together not uh, just on dark shadows but then many times afterward uh with the big finish productions and and everything else and um and then uh, uh, Laura, I, I remember when she, uh, you know, realized that, well, she was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And, uh, and then in the last year, um, she was diagnosed with uh, lung cancer. 
and and we talked quite a bit around that time and uh and it was the parkinson's that <laughs> really got to her yeah. uh, slowed her down as she said um anyway uh in the the last uh months or so of her life uh it was Stuart who said you know you two should interview each other and laura was all for it and um and i uh and i i thought yeah uh good idea and uh so i i flew out to la and we spent two consecutive Sundays together and we recorded each other, as I said to Laura, two, two actresses and writers do not not record. So uh, I recorded everything and we talked for, for a better part of two days. I went out there in the morning and I left in the late afternoon and, um, and I was able to send her a transcript uh, of everything. And we talked about what should be written. I sent her a, a draft and uh and then she gave me some notes and and uh and i'm really glad that we had that opportunity because there's such a lot that happened between two women two actresses two writers we had such a lot in common as polar opposite as we were and we really were and uh, it was laura's contention that our relationship was largely based on our characters Josette and Angelique, because that's how we met. And uh, I was in violent disagreement with that. I said <laughs> so many other things that, um, uh, that you know, really made us two very different people. And, um, uh, and she saw a kind of uh, a rivalry, which I didn't so much. And, um, and so we got to talk about so many things, you know, not just boys in clothes. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, because she liked digging deep, so we we uh, indeed dug deep. Uh, but it was it was also a lot of fun and and walks in the garden and and you know and she was frail. She was very frail, and sitting out and you know looking out on those hills in Topanga and and uh, watching the sun go down and you know having lunch together and everything. Um, it was really uh, it was a gift to have that kind of time with somebody at that stage in their lives when they are, you know, making peace with the life they've lived. And that's, that's an extraordinary time. I had a bit of that with my mother, but then, you know, that's family. It's quite a different thing when you're with a contemporary and having that, those kinds of conversations. So uh, again, that was um, uh, that's something I'm going to carry with me the rest of my life. Um, that uh, that period of time that I had with Laura. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I I'm honored that she uh, came on to the podcast. I think it might be the last interview she did was was here on on this podcast, and that was sure. so wonderful talking with her she was so nice and just curious about me after we ended she's like so what tell me about the penny dreadful thing what's that oh what do you oh so you you teach college too because she taught college english as well for for a while so we talked a little bit about that and she was just really just super cool uh it was great talking with her uh and as it is with you as well so well you know Laura had a sense of legacy and and not everybody does you know but she had a sense of legacy and and i think 
many of the things that she came you know to peace with in her life also had to do with um you know uh those things that she did in the, in that especially that last year of her life mm -hmm. uh you know the things that she wrote and and uh and did uh and that's a that's another wonderful thing to be a part of which of course you are and I'm so glad that she did that. I can't think of a better venue for her to have that kind of conversation. But it's, well, it was certainly, it was an honor. Uh, it was you know, to celebrate uh, the 55th anniversary of Angelique's first appearance. So I was thrilled that she was she was up for it. And she recorded, Mary O'Leary uh, talked to her recently, and I know they recorded uh, Lara's last audiobook, the 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 heiress of Collinwood. She, she yes, was, and yeah. uh, also. I took Ansel aside, and uh -huh. Ansel will tell you this when you speak with him. But I took Ansel aside, and I said, "You know, you really need to put Laura in your film." Yeah. And uh, I said, "I said, isn't there something you could write?" And he did. He um, he wrote a wonderful little scene. And uh, now that I've I've seen the film, we'll ask him about it. Yeah. But uh, uh, I, I'm so glad. Because when I, the last time that I saw Laura, she was so looking forward to it. And she was already, you know, um, making plans for it. And uh, yeah, it, she wanted to do that. And of course, that was um, her last appearance on film. Yeah, it's, it's really very, a special thing. And I'm I'm very glad that uh, Ansel followed through on that. And I think it was important for him too. Because yeah. we've been, I think, um, uh, so much a part of the, you know, his genesis as a, uh, as a, as a director. Yeah, uh, he sent me the link to the trailer for it, and it looks looks wild. It looks like a really really fun <laughs> film. <laughs> Definitely a different kind of film than when he, what I've seen from him in the past. He tends to do like fantastical kind of spooky things, but this is. Mm -hmm. It's a big, big advance, yeah. Yeah, it's. Oh, I look forward, look forward to seeing it. I look forward to to chatting about it on the podcast. I'm also looking forward to this Dark Shadows Remembrance event uh, with the tribute to Lara Parker, and also I believe the second day is going to be Jonathan Frid's centenary celebration uh, that they're doing. So it looks like it's going to be a two two uh, at night. I think the Laura's celebration, life celebrations in the evening. Talking about the, uh, is there a date for it? I don't, I don't know. Uh, I know it's in the summer. I think it's in early July. I think that's when it's happening. But by the time this, goes, this episode goes up, I'll put it, I should have more information and I'll put it in the little news segment at the beginning of the episode if I have more info by then. But I think it's, I think it's going to be in early July and yeah, I believe it's a two. I was, um, I was mm -hmm. referencing. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, go you're going to be there. I, I hope I, I assume. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. Um, well, Catherine, I want to thank you for joining me uh, to walk down memory lane and talk a little bit about what's coming up too. It was really exciting and fun to talk to you. And I was so happy to hear. I know that we're talking longer than you imagine, but I'm really glad that we have. It's it's really lovely. Well, thank you for taking the time, the extra time to, to talk to me. And uh, folks, you can check out everything that's going on with Catherine at Catherine Lee Scott. 
Patrickmcrae.com, a beautiful website designed by Patrick McRae. Uh, as I recall, Patrick, Patrick is he's just brilliant. <laughs> I mean, as I look, the website is beautiful. Um, but yes, CatherineLeeScott.com. You can get books there, photos, and keep up with everything going on with Catherine. All right, Catherine, thank you again. Take care. And uh, I hope to see you soon, maybe in the summer. I'll see you at oh, yeah. the uh, at the event. So <laughs> take care. All right. And for as long as they lived, the dark shadows never truly vanished, for there will always be Terror at Collingwood. Terror at Collingwood is a Penny Dreadful production. <laughs>